Welcome to this episode of the Novara Law Podcast. My name is Genevieve Hilgenbrink, Associate Attorney here at Novara Law, and with me today is Caitlin Kramer, partner at Novara Law. And Caitlin, how are you today? Hey, Jenna. It's a real honor to be with you here on the podcast. Uh, been doing a great job, I think, with these episodes, so it's kind of exciting to now get my chance at it. <laughs> oh, very happy to have you. Thank you so much. Um, so today we're talking about the Andary decision before the Court of Appeals and kind of what that means going forward. So I think it's really timely to have our Court of Appeals partner here. So I guess on that note, Caitlin, talk up a little bit about your practice here. Sure. So I, I primarily do uh, litigation in the first party PIP and third party automobile negligence, UM, uh, UIM context, but I also handle a majority of the of the appeals that we file here at the office, whether that be uh, cases that we've handled that have an appeal filed or that need to be an appealed or outside appeals as well. We handle a few of those for our clients as well. Uh, because of that, I, I tend to be the person tracking a lot of the developments in the Court of Appeals. So here I am. <laughs> yes, I guess very, very timely. So, you know, starting on that note, what did the Court of Appeals hold in the Andary decision? Yeah, so it's actually groundbreaking stuff. We've all been waiting for this opinion to come out. And and Derry, the panel, which was Judges uh, Shapiro, uh, Patel, and Markey, and I should note that Markey filed a dissent. Shapiro and Patel were the majority. And they held that the uh, Michigan no-fault recent reforms to the PIP, to our whole no-fault scheme, do not apply retroactively. Uh, specifically, they only looked at MCL 500.3157, subsections 7 and 10. Those are kind of the most controversial parts of the uh, reforms. Subsection 7 is the fee schedule that bases uh, off of Medicaid. Subsection 10 is the 56-hour attendant care cap for family and friend-provided attendant care. Uh, basically, the plaintiffs in this case uh, had argued we were injured before these reforms were in, uh, enacted. We've received 24-7 attendant care for most of our lives after these catastrophic accidents. We should not be penalized and be forced to essentially take eight hours of care per day instead of 24 hours. Uh, they also argued that the fee schedule was unfair because of an intervening plaintiff in the case, the Eisenhower Center. Most providers are arguing that the fee schedule is unfair and they can't keep their businesses open because it greatly limits the amounts they can charge. The uh, majority, Shapiro and Patel, agreed with the argument that if you were injured before the effective date of the reform, so I believe that's June 11, 2019, the reforms do not apply backwards in time to you. They do not apply retroactively. Now, the question is, as to the fee schedule, it has a different effective date. Um, it has an effective date in July of 2021. The reading on the opinion, even though it's not entirely super clear, because they generally refer to the effective date as solely June 11, 2019, but the read on the opinion is that, therefore, the fee schedule would not apply to anybody injured before its own effective date. So general holding is for subsection 5 and 7. Uh, if you were injured before June 11, 2019, neither of those apply to you. If you were injured before July of 2021, the fee schedule does not apply to you. Understood. And I guess, you know, how does the court come to that conclusion, right? It looks at the statutory language and it looks at some other areas of law, doesn't it? Sure. So the, the biggest anal- point of analysis was the contracts clause of the Michigan Constitution. Basically, that the legislature can't alter existing business contracts, relationships, 
can't penalize parties to a contract via its own actions. They can't intervene. It's kind of like a we have the same clause in the federal constitution, right? The legislature cannot intervene in those relationships. So the argument here was these people have had policies, they got premiums, they signed on the dotted line, and now we've taken away something from them without any consideration, without due process, essentially. That was the main crux of the opinion is that and Derry, the other plaintiffs, were injured before this accident, believed they had unlimited PIP benefits, and then the legislature essentially took those away. What that argument ignores is a couple things. One, the legislature said when it had enacted this, it was trying to address a public policy issue. And Judge Markey in her dissent pointed that out, that this is intended to address a public policy, severe public policy issue, a significant issue we have in Michigan about increased premiums, fraud in our insurance um, claims, and therefore the legislature acted properly. And sometimes that means people are going to lose out on their contracts or their business expectations. Um, Shapiro and Patel didn't really address that argument, nor did they address the fact that our Michigan insurers have issued millions of dollars back in refunded premiums to Michigan insureds throughout the state. Um, everybody got a $400 check. So now what happens when essentially the insureds are now out, or excuse me, the insurers have now paid out something mm-hmm. and have received almost no consideration in return. So that's a big, I see that being a big issue moving forward. You know, the way you explain it seems pretty straightforward, but I, I think in practice we, we have we have some, some more questions left. And I guess, you know, why why was this opinion so confusing in practice? Right. It's, it is confusing because of some of those holes. You know, for instance, uh, we have that argument that it's not taking into effect the practical uh, implications for an insurance company. We've now rewritten policies. We've now processed claims. Uh, I mean, this has been two, three years in the making. How do we go back and essentially address those claims if we've started processing them under the legislature's new rules? How do we get back the money we've paid and increase premiums? I mean, for for our clients, I think that's definitely a stressor. Um, Another major issue I see is is what I noted about the effective dates. Um, You're essentially creating several different classes, I think, of claimants. You've got the people that were injured before 2019. You've got people injured between 2019 and 2021. And now you've got people injured since 2021, and they are all dealing with a different scheme. And I think the whole point of the No Fault Act and the whole point of the No Fault Scheme in general was to make processing claims easy. It was to ensure prompt payment of claims. I think we've lost sight of that a little bit um, with this decision, with some of the reforms in general, because it's not making it necessarily easier to process claims, especially for our clients. That makes it hard. Um, Another major issue is by basing it on the contracts clause or the contract, this contracts analysis, what about the MACP? Right. They aren't dealing with policies. Uh, do they have the same analysis? I think you have some information to share on that. Yeah, I mean, I've reached out to, <clears throat> excuse me, to counsel uh, for MACP, and they seem to be taking the approach that, you know, this these claims under MACP will be processed or will be analyzed in the same way as they would under a policy. And they they get to that conclusion, um, at least for now, 
based on the Court of Appeals decision kind of having two prongs. And the first prong being the first analysis under the statute saying it's not retroactive, it's not evident uh, based on a plain reading of the statute. But later on, you know, they kind of reluctantly get to the contracts clause analysis. And they, they I think they say in the opinion, um, you know, even if this, this weren't the case, we would still come to the same conclusion um, under the contracts clause mm-hmm. analysis. So I, I, I see what they're saying, um, and I certainly uh, think that's probably the right approach, just based on the plain reading of the opinion. But you're right, this is a hole. Yeah. I think one more hole that you know needs to be filled, is, it, you've alluded to it already, is the equal protection argument. I mean, if we have multiple um, you know, classes, if you will, of of claimants, some of which, you know, different laws apply. I mean, how does that play out under equal protection? And I think that's something that the Michigan Supreme Court will have to address, um, you know, should it get that far. I agree with you. And you're you're right to point out that retroactivity analysis of the statute in general, and, and thanks for doing that, because that is kind of where their first argument was. There is no intent by the legislature, right? They didn't say this applies retroactively. And I think they got it right in that respect. It's the contracts clause that I have the bigger issue with. And I think what you just said, too, about the equal protection and there being kind of different classes of claimants, that is where I see this really getting set up for a showdown in the Supreme Court. You know, there have been a couple updates since we've uh, received the decision in Andary, and there have been some motions filed at the Supreme Court level. You know, let's go into those. What, What have those updates been and what do they mean for us going forward? Sure. So uh, the first motion that was filed was a motion to stay the precedential effect of the Andary opinion. Kind of a really unique course of action, um, a motion that I I haven't seen in the past. Uh, Basically, it was asking the Supreme Court to effectively put a hold on the opinion uh, while it deliberated over the appeal to the Supreme Court and while uh, they undertook kind of their decision-making process. Uh, The Supreme Court did deny that motion um, after allowing even amicus briefs to be filed on the issue. Uh, But they denied it. But in that order, they did say that they do intend to hear um, the Andary appeal in March of 2023. So it does appear that they're kind of fast-tracking this one, which is good. Uh, The other big update is that DIFFS has also um, issued their own bulletin on the effect of Andary as well. What's interesting is that bulletin, uh, you know, I indicated earlier, the differences in the effective dates for the fee schedule and then the attendant care family cap, so Section 7, Section 10. Uh, the DIFFS bulletin only talks about the 2019 effective date, but does say that Andary holds uh, that 7 and 10 cannot be applied to any claims where the person was injured prior to that date. It then instructs providers that if they feel they're owed more money or if they're owed, owed further reimbursement because of Andary, that they need to resubmit those claims to uh, the insurers. So we could see a lot more, uh, maybe some provider suits getting resuscitated because of that bulletin, or insurers should be prepared to see some submissions coming in or potentially some utilization review issues from any of those uh, particular providers concerning those dates. Absolutely. Well, we will be keeping our ear to the ground here at Novara Law. So if you have any questions out there, um, Caitlin, what is your email so that people can reach out to you? Sure. Yeah, uh, it's K-A-C. So my initials, K-A-C at NovaraLaw.com. And you can reach me, Jenna Hilgenbrink at G-K-H at NovaraLaw.com. Well, thank, thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining me today. I appreciate it. And we will see you next time on the Novara Law Podcast. <laughs>